When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead. Take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. I'm sorry, you can sit there and look and play with all your silly machines as much as you like. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! And time, and time again. Break up the music. Charge a glass. This nation is going to dance all night. Genuine height, bringing your volleying boots, potential banana skins in the Champions League, mishit shots turning into great passes, players going to hyperliteral lengths to prove they got the ball in a tackle, Premier League goalscorers from sovereign nations. When both sets of fans try to enjoy the same passage of play, why shorts are the new collars and sparing a thought for those unintentionally triggered by goals scored in pre-game montages. Brought to your ears by Goal Hanger Podcasts, this is Football Clichés and your Mesut Harland Dicks. Hello everyone and welcome to Football Clichés. I'm Adam Hurry and with me to pick through your latest footballing fascinations and irritations are Charlie Eccleshare. Hello. Hello. And David Walker. How are things? Things are good. Uh, this is the 199th Clichés appearance for Charlie Eccleshare on the precipice of history. Yeah, huge. Yeah, it is huge. Getting that landmark in just before we go on tour. Um, just make sure you take good care of yourself for the next for the next sort of five days. I know. We wouldn't, want, we wouldn't want it to be 199 and out. Just stuck on 199. Morbid thoughts. Yeah, don't die for all sorts of reasons. Mainly <laughs> uh, the forthcoming Football Clichés Tour. A reminder again, if you have any spare tickets for London, Manchester, Leeds or Glasgow, DM me and I will consult my spreadsheet and I'll get rid of them for you as quickly as I can. Or stick them on Twickets as well. Um, otherwise, go to myticket.co.uk and snap up the last remaining ones for Manchester, Leeds and Bristol. Right, before we get stuck into your foibles for this month, it's the adjudication panel. This first one 
came from T. Frangelli. It's from the NBA, actually. Anthony Edwards on his Minnesota Timberwolves teammate, Carl Anthony Towns. He says, I don't know why teams put two on me, because KAT is the best defensive player we got. If you put two on me, KAT can have a field night. Ooh. A field night. (laughs) Haven't established, Charlie, whether this this was delivered with any irony whatsoever. Haven't got the audio or anything like that. Let's assume not for the purposes of our enjoyment. <laughs> I love how that's been corrupted. Why not? Why not do it? Yeah. I don't think I've ever heard someone do it, for, you know, for an evening game. I'm just trying to think if, if commentators or whatever do, consciously or otherwise, restrict their usage of it if it were a night game. I think it's okay enough a concept. I think it's broad enough a concept, Dave, to use in the evening. Definitely. I've- I mean, definitely should be, yeah. I hope that he has consciously done that and thought, well, we never... NBA... We don't play in the afternoons. We always always night games. They're the always NBA. under the lights. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> It'd be really boring watching an afternoon NBA game. It'd be it's like a lunchtime kickoff, Charlie. They wouldn't be able to get into it, would they? They're sluggish at the start. Yeah, I don't know if it's the early kickoff or not. Natural light bleeding through the windows of the <laughs> oh, arena. <it'd> be horrible. <laughs> yeah, shadows like a like, like PE at lunchtime. PE. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dreadful, dreadful memories. Even the league yeah. is still weird. I think. Yeah. Sort of non-evening games. It really is. Quite right. I, I, went, I went to Real Madrid game in the Bernabeu and it was a lunchtime kickoff and it was so weird and it was really noticeably sleepy it's not the real experience like a matinee isn't it you know they're gonna be playing again later and doing it properly bit flat (laughs) yeah definitely right let's stick with Madrid actually lots of quite rightful opprobrium for this football on TNT Sports tweeted as Brahim Diaz gave Real Madrid the lead against RB Leipzig Jude Bellingham who why do people still get this wrong? Stuns me. Blows my... It happens all the time, Dave. <laughs> <laughs> what do they think they're doing with it? It's so easy. Jude who? That's all you need to do. I thought for a second maybe they were giving him the kind of John Benjamin Toshak treatment, Charlie, but even then that doesn't work. So, uh, no. I don't know. It's... Um... <laughs> It's not infuriating, but it is really funny and like 10% infuriating. How can you get it wrong? Madness. Um... Right, some light relief then. Uh, over on B in Sports, who were giving the Champions League the full treatment, Marcel Desailly in the studio with Keys and Gray, and conversation turned to table tennis. We love the other sports, but, but we, we love all the other. Table tennis, I love it. I love it. But, but football has something you really don't special. Love table tennis. I love it. Yes. No, you do. You play? Yeah. I've been playing, yes, yes. If you oh, see I my table tennis. Ah, I so play. you see? Ooh. So we have a match in the match together. Too. <laughs> I can feel it coming on. I think I, I can I, feel I, it coming I, on. I think, I think yeah. we need a challenge here. Okay. Yeah, it's, it's, you know it's, <laughs> First thing I want to pick up on here, Charlie, is, I mean, Andy Gray, just the sheer delight that Andy Gray has been given something to do in Doha by the mm. looks of it. <laughs> There's some real passion behind that. Oh, I've got something to do with a mate. It's great. Yeah. Yeah, a free free day, free day coming up. That would be really fun. I mean, if if you yeah playing table tennis with Marcel Desailly, who wouldn't want to do that? Absolutely, the name of a book or something. Desailly is going to hammer him, surely. Why? Why do you think so? I just think he'll be so much better. He's younger, quicker, more agile. Yeah, yeah, he'll he'll be giving Gray the runaround potentially. Presumably, presiding over this match will be umpire. Richard Keys. Um, there was something about his attitude towards the potential spectacle, Dave, that it was a little bit like when the sort of behaviour Brent displays when uh, Chris Finch is, is going outside to throw something over the roof of a pub. He's, he gets a bit, like, oh, yeah, go on. He's going to beat you. He'll beat you, Marcel. He's really good. <laughs> go on, Andy. Desai, he needs somebody in his corner. Maybe he can get Nigel De Jong or, or, uh, or McAteer to come along. Yeah. Didier Domi. But yeah, um, 
this just goes to show they've got a lot of time on their hands in Doha is uh, the summary of that right um, back to TNT Sports coverage of the uh, Champions League here's RB Leipzig with a corner against Real Madrid in the first half Fletch had this to say about Benjamin Sheshko so this is the chance for Orban to come forward and Klosterman, the two centre-backs, and Mohamed Simakan is in there as well. And Sesko, the number 30, has got genuine height. It's taken by the goalkeeper. Has to be better than that. Falcologist got in touch first, Charlie, and says, uh, everyone's heard of genuine pace, but Fletch has just described Sheshko as having genuine height. What next? Frightening <laughs> height? Height to burn? It's a minefield. How do you feel about genuine height? I think it's about as... I think it's about as acceptable as genuine pace. It works on the same logic, doesn't it? Yeah, I guess so. I mean, are there people with kind of insincere height or, you know, deceptive heights? Well, funny you mention that because, uh, Dave, uh, Matt writes in uh, reporting the same incident and he says, what would inauthentic height be? Jorginho being almost six foot comes to mind. Jorginho? No chance. I, I definitely think there's something in, like, people who are deceptively tool or, or or the other way around Jorginho's 5'11 yeah that's amazing to me yeah he does have the he does feel somehow short I don't know if that's partly the way he plays mm. he plays pa- small he does play small pa- Papsar for instance he looks so tall but I've stood next to him and he's basically my height which is like six one and a half. okay but he, he looks <laughs> and a half if, <laughs> and a half fine uh, if, if I didn't know that I would think he was like 6'4 or something I think partly because he's got really long legs and that makes someone look taller, I think. Yeah, I, I think me and you, Charlie, we, we are in this sort of in-between space where we might be considered deceptively tall at times. Like Because I think genuine height is somebody that's 6'4 and upwards, maybe 6'3, but 6'4, I'd say, you're defi- is definitely there. So outright height. But I'm 6'2, so I'm tall, but... I don't think people would necessarily describe me as as that being my uh, the most notable thing about me. Whereas if you're six four, it's like oh you you are really tall. It's very obvious. I don't think if I was playing football, I'd be described as somebody with genuine height. It wouldn't be remarked upon. But if I was two inches taller, it, you are um, on the kind of height pace comparison, Charlie. Could you have raw height? Asks Joe. <laughs> <laughs> raw height. It's got to be polished into something even well, taller. I, I guess raw height could be when someone's just become that height. And so they don't really know what to do with it. The rest of their body hasn't filled out. You know yeah. that kind of lanky stage of like a, a, in your mid-teens. Like Actually, had raw yeah. height. For that a long would be time. good. Raw height. I like that. That's excellent. Yeah. If yeah, if you you know the kid who comes back from from the summer holidays, who's shot up, <laughs> <laughs> and, he, and, and not quite sure how to be. Yeah. Right. Um, from the same game, this came from Ryan. Here's Amadou Haidara trying a couple of volleys in vain for RB Leipzig in the dying minutes. Swung into the Madrid box, headed away by the captain Nacho. Back in again, Haidara, who I think's brought his volleying boots with yeah, him tonight. Right foot, left foot, that one not so good. First ever suggestion, Dave, that there could be a sub sort of subset of, of types of boots you could bring with you. Shooting boots just not good enough now. Does that infer that he's choosing to go for volleys over other types of shots? Is he is he not is he purposefully like not shooting when otherwise presented with the opportunity, only shooting when there's a volley available? Or well, more troublingly, Charlie, if you brought your volleying boots, would would that make the rest of your game worse? Yeah. Well, there's a lot to unpack here. I mean, also, is it like a golfer deciding what shot they want to hit and he just keeps opting for the volley, kind of ir- irrespective of 
whether it's the best option. It also raises that age-old question of does bringing your shooting boots mean you're shooting well or you're just having lots of shots? Because that's a really bad volley. So you might also say, oh, he's, he's forgotten his volleying boots in some instances. I would say the thing is, when you hear it said, oh, yeah, it looks like he hasn't brought his shooting boots today, they've had a shot. It's not like they've refused to shoot. So the, the shot quality is bad. But then if they did say, oh, looks like he has brought his shooting boots today, I think that implies volume. So there's two different... There's flip sides to it, isn't there? I think having your shooting boots boots implies willingness. Not having them implies lack of quality in the shot that you did muster. Right, final Champions League point for today. Paul Mant alerted me to the the BBC report of uh, Man City's 3-1 away win at Copenhagen. Uh, One of the subheads reads, City avoid potential banana skin. Potential banana skin, to me, feels a little bit too tin pot for the Champions League, Charlie. I mean, I'm not saying it's disrespectful to Copenhagen, but it's not really the point of the phrase, but... I, you can't have you can't have potential banana skins in the last sixteen of the Champions League. I, because I think, what you think the standard is sort of too high and everything's yeah, well known. Yeah, you don't, well you don't get giant killings in the Champions League, so I don't think potential banana skin belongs there either. You don't think you could have a giant killing? You don't. I don't think you, no, I don't think so. I don't think so. You can have an upset, but I don't think you can call it a giant killing. In the group stages, you could, I think. If, if like, the lowest-ranked team, you know, who managed to get through qualifying, who's not normally in there. Like, uh, there was a uh, team from Belarus, I think, who beat Real Madrid. Barté Borisov. Borisov, yeah. I think that, I mean, I think that's... Yeah. It's as close as you're going to get to a giant killing in the Champions League in the, these days. And with the stratification of modern-day football, it feels like it might be more likely than ever. Potential banana skin, though. I mean, I suppose Copenhagen do fit the template a little bit. Sort of tricky opposition, mm. not not plucky. I mean, they've got something about them. It's a tough place to go. Is it? I don't know. Lovely place to go, I think, Copenhagen. But it just feels it just feels like too quaint a concept for the top table of European football to me. You can't have a potential banana skin on the top table of European football. Good. Right. Right. That's settled then. Time to get into the listeners' Meza Harland dicks for February. We want to hear about your footballing fascinations, the niche the better, and indeed your irritations, the more obscure, the more entertaining for us. Right, let's start with your fascinations then. The first comes from the man who would be. My uh, niche love of football for MHD would be when a usually central midfielder mishits a volley after a ball bounces out from a corner and it goes straight back out to the corner taker. Usually there's two times this happens. One is when a team is sort of a goal, two, three goals down and you just get a collective groan, which is just disappointing. The other time, however is when a a team is two, three, four goals up and it happens and you just get a sort of collective joy of one in every, say, ten people in the ground just sort of going, what a pass, as if they're the only person who's seen it. Now, Charlie, before we get into the kind of finer emotional levels of this, I think it's actually quite surprising how often this happens. Given the moving parts involved, a miss kick and a player needing to be right in the corner to essentially receive the ball from that missed kick. It happens quite a lot. I don't know. I'm not going to put a per 90 total on it, but I think it happens quite a lot. Possibly, or maybe it's, the, it's disproportionately remembered because it is. there is something quite satisfying about it. I guess, well, with some of these volleys, they're quite low margin for error. So if you don't get them quite right, there's a chance you're going to get them very, very wrong. And very, very wrong means kind of what what's being described here. I definitely like as well, because throughout that, I was thinking about the natural response of someone will say something like that's a good pass that oh (laughs) amazing vision it's it's just mandatory isn't it it has to be done someone's got to say it nice one too (laughs) set piece coach has been at it again yeah I suppose biomechanically Dave you know a badly hit volley is going to go that way it'll swing over towards the corner flag so maybe it does lend itself to this scenario 
Well, it lends itself to a big slice, yeah. But in a way, I think it's kind of it does sort of spare the blushes of the of the of the player committing mm. the the bad volley because you know the, whenever a shot gets hit and goes out for a throw in, it's always it's always a moment. There will always be a reaction in the crowd, and it's remarked upon for sure. Whereas this, you get another chance to go again. I I find it annoying though with both of these instances that you do get rewarded for being so bad because <laughs> both in this case you find a teammate, and in the other instance, if it goes off for a throw, that's still better than it going off for a goal kick I mean you, you can box them in after that yeah absolutely absolutely the finer finer margins of those scenarios I suppose the worst case scenario of this is though because the kicker is not expecting to receive the ball may not have come back on side mm. which just sort Another of com- twist. compounds the calamitous nature of the whole thing I mean, you could end up in that scenario, Charlie, with a, a wonderful undulation of crowd noise because you'd have the initial way from the sort of opposition fans who can see the volley not happening. And then they kind of, wow, you don't know, from the fans who support the team who've actually regathered the ball. And then you'd have the offside decision, which usually takes a couple of seconds to sink in. It'd be a wonderful tapestry from mm. from the from the stands there, wouldn't it? Yeah, and also, I mean, th- there's the possibility, yeah, someone realises they're offside, kind of steps out of the way, and then you have another runner from deep kind of going to retrieve the ball. I mean, there's there can be all sorts going on. Absolute psychological minefield. Lovely stuff. Right, next up, it's Alex Gerosh. It's basically when player makes a tackle, the referee gives a foul, and the player responds by shouting, ball, I went for the ball, and making a gesture with the two cupped hands in a circle to signify ball. And sometimes they go up to the ball and pick it up and show it to the referee as if he didn't know what a ball was. And he just goes, look, ball, this is what I went for. I went for the ball. And I find that hilarious every time. <laughs> little little meow of a cat there at the end. Lovely touch. Dave, you know, I have been um, preoccupied with the ball-shaped gesture for a very, very long time. I've always been fascinated by it. And, you know, it's, it's a classic case of kind of... Um, what a sports psychologist would call hyper arousal in, in an athlete where they sort of lose it a bit. But I'd never thought about the extension of this is when they go and pick up the ball and show it to the referee, which reminds you like Lion King or something like that where they're just holding it up. It's a, it's a baffling piece of behaviour, Dave. I mean, I mean, you could you could argue for a sort of language barrier aspect in some cases, but actually picking up the ball and showing it to the referee seems like the most desperate thing a player could do to try and convince them. Yeah, it is a whole nother level, isn't it? And, and then it's sort of, what do they do with the ball afterwards? Do they just place it back down? Do they throw it down, risk getting a yellow card? So I suppose often the, it's quite rare that the ball would be close enough to the offending player that they can just pick it up quickly. Otherwise, they'd have to sort of run and get it and then there could be a whole sort of thing, of, you know, like you're trying to get the ball out the back of the net. Another player might stop you from picking up the ball. Well, if the ball's close to them, it probably aids their case because then they've essentially sort yeah. of won it because it's right there. If they have to run off and get it, you know, they're fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, but... I don't know. I mean, it's quite dangerous territory these days, Charlie, because, you know, usually if you throw the ball down or you kick it away, that's an automatic yellow. If you went, if you ran over to the referee sort of semi-aggressively, but essentially pleading your case using the ball as a prop, is that a yellow card? Well, under the new rules, they're kind You're of... You're abusing uh, the equipment. That is, but I do love the idea, yeah, that the ball being near you is proof that you won the ball. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't possibly have got the ball if I hadn't won it. I've won the ball. I have it. Clearly, I've won it. <laughs> it turns into like CSI Molyneux or something, doesn't it? Like look at it. Look at all the evidence in front of me. Oh, speaking of um, speaking of evidence, this season uh, in Sunday League, we had a last-minute winner ruled out. 
so the referee's given the goal. It was like throw in, flick on. Somebody just sort of stabbed it in at the near post, right at the death. The referee gives the goal. None of the opposition outfield players are appealing. They're all going mad at each other because they think they fucked it in the last minute. The goalkeeper then calls the ref over and says, look, ref, I've got fresh stud marks on my glove. And the referee disallows the goal on the basis of on the basis of forensic evidence. I think this is absolutely <laughs> fine. I think physical marks on players should be allowable for referees. But what do you mean? As in like he'd ripped the glove? As in like the player had, in the act of getting the ball, would kind of <laughs> kick the keeper's hands away from the ball. Right. Because they right. were kind of, it was the keeper was going for it. It was a low ball. It's completely <laughs> farcical. The referee coming over good. That does look like fresh boot marks. <laughs> I, I would I would guess that, that those were left within the last fifteen to twenty seconds. Just brushing the dirt off the off the glove with <laughs> a, a little, little brush. Little brush. <laughs> <laughs> oh dear. Um, um, elsewhere in kind of sort of overdone player appeals, and I, I think. And this point was made in the commentary when this example happened, Charlie, about when some players' appeals are so convincing, so authentic, that the referee ought to kind of take notice of them. It was at Villa Park the other night, Villa versus Manchester United, and uh, Matty Cash dived over a challenge of Casemiro, and the replay subsequently proved there was barely no contact. And Casemiro's reaction was so good, I've never seen anything like it. 360-degree disbelief. I didn't. In the end, I didn't know who he was directing it at, but after a while you were like, he's definitely dived then, hasn't he? <laughs> yeah. No, it was. It, it was. I mean, that that sort of yeah, it was a new level of incredulity. I mean, it was. It's like this one I said about the Vicario when he was like pretend. I love when players pretend that they're going to take a free kick. That, you know, that they're like, oh no, I've been given a f- what? It's a goal. You are genuinely obsessed by this, by the way. I I just think it's so good when it's like really when they go to that level of sort of acting. It's, it's like uh, silent it's movie great. acting. Yeah, like exactly. Really <laughs> overdone. <laughs> it's really slapstick. It's very like it's like a it's like an exaggerated double take. Like, oh I guess I'll be taking the free kick then. What? I'm not allowed to take the free kick? If only Charlie Chaplin had made a film about thinking the ball had gone out for a goal kick but it was actually a corner. Smash it. Right. The third fascination of football for February comes from Lawrence Ward. This is just pure knowledge. It's lovely. So my footballing fascination is to do with players that become the first player from their country to represent in the Premier League. And it pops into my head a couple of times a year after the transfer windows. And I think the first time it did was when Victor Wanyama became the first, and to this date still is, the only Kenyan to ever play in the Premier League. And when it does pop into my head, I'm fascinated as to uh, will the Premier League, will, will every country eventually get a player in the Premier League? And if not, which country is the least likely to, in inverted commas, produce a Premier League footballer? Charlie, I'm a big fan of this corner of Premier League knowledge, mm. Premier League trivia. I, I, it's always a lovely moment when that list gets topped up. His example there of, of Victor Wanyama in Kenya is very much the one, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, that's a great shout. Uh, or is it Kuko Martino of Curacao? I think there's you know Ooh, close second yeah. in those stakes. But yeah, it's it's a lovely moment. The subset is then first player to score. Mm, yeah, like really doing them proud. Yeah, <laughs> Just yeah, yeah, yeah. You could have come from anywhere. Adding to the list. I like this one. Maybe this perhaps was something we could have, we should have considered for our quiz uh, quiz answers eleven last week. But um, when you see this is noted upon during a during watching a match or whatever, I always sort of make a mental note to like. Oh, I should rem- that, that that might come up one day. That might come up in a quiz. Like I should remember, but then of course I don't remember mm. at all. Completely goes out of your head. 
you should have it tattooed on your body. Like that, that's a that's a that's a banker of a trivia question. I was watching randomly highlights of it might even have been a full replay of the 2020 League Cup final the other day. You know where they just put random games on Sky yeah. late at night, and it was Aston Villa against Man City, and Aston Villa's goal scorer was Embuana Samata, who was the mm. first Tanzanian player to play in the Premier League and definitely the first Tanzanian to score in a League Cup final so that's that's one that's lodged in my brain now but yeah there's loads of others that you'll miss to answer Lawrence Ward's question Charlie about which nation do you think never will provide a Ooh, Premier yeah. League player or who do you think the last nation will be and um, I mean what logic do you apply here are you just going by population are you going by how far flung they are I mean I'm looking at the sort of the islands of the South Pacific really yeah I guess a combination of population and distance from another nation that has produced a Premier League player so if there's like a whole region where you're like that's that feels a long way off whereas some countries if they've if neighbouring countries have done it you might think well okay is there is that good is that football passion going to spread to those countries you're looking for a bit of second generation action aren't you Dave when they declare for that country through their parents that's it it counts but I don't know I sort of think that in a weird way I think there's kind of more chance of one of a player from those sorts of nations who nations in like Polynesia Mm. territory who are like good at rugby or have have a tradition in like other sports who like might switch sports in, in their teenage years and become good at football somehow and get, yeah, and get up through the ranks whereas I think I think it's less likely that a football playing nation like San Marino or the Faroe Islands are going to have a player good enough to ever get up to the have Premier the Faroes League. not have one? I don't think so I don't think so either but you, you, you're never sure the thing about San Marino is I mean I think we should complete Europe first Charlie that's to be the Premier League's next job get Europe tied up Get a Sam Aranese player in. Give him five minutes. Oh, the, F- the Faroe Islands have had a player. Gunnar Nielsen, goalkeeper. Man City? Yeah. Yes, Played that. one Premier League game for Man City in 2009. Fantastic. Wow. Well, that's the what sort of thing I'm talking about. Get them in. Let them have a go. Lovely fascinations. We'll be back very shortly with your irritations. Welcome back to Football Clichés. We've heard about your footballing fascinations. Now it's time for your irritations, the things that infuriate you about the modern game. February selection starts with Josh. This is great. One thing that really annoys me at football is when both sets of fans cheer or applaud for the same thing. So not like if it's a minute's applause in memory of someone or an injured player who's got to go off. That's all fine. But something like that happens in the game. So at Palace last night, there was an attempted cross that got blocked and it went out for a corner. The Chelsea fans applauded because they've got a corner and it was a nice attacking move. We applauded because it was a good recovery and block. And I get that both of those on their own are valid. But in my head, it's like, no, we're happy about this. You are not allowed to be happy about the exact same thing. (laughs) That's wonderful (laughs) tail end to that. (laughs) You're not allowed. Really enjoyed it. (laughs) Yeah, I do like this one. And it is something that's occurred to me before with like um, the sort of sometimes this is more while playing, but you know, sometimes you'll get loads of credit for doing something like blocking a cross or just flicking a ball out. And other times you'll get none. And I think and it's like, it, it really is sort of mood dependent. Like, I guess game state as well. Yeah. But there have been times where it's like, it's not that big a thing to do, sort of like 
you know, blocking a cross or whatever is is quite easy. And I guess it's the same at, at games. Sometimes you do feel I, I I know what I know what he means because sometimes you're like that is the the fact that they're happy with this outcome suggests we shouldn't be that happy with giving away like a nothing <laughs> corner for no reason, even though it does show good diligence, I suppose, on the part of the winger tracking back or whatever. Oh, okay. Well, let's deal with that logic first then. And um, Dave, I mean, Josh's example that he's given here. The case study he's put forward of of the cross being blocked but resulting in a corner really is the sweet spot for this mini phenomenon. But all other things being equal, you know, game state, it's nil nils, let's say, and there's nothing really happening. Who should be who should be happier in that moment? The corner takers? What if it's like a counter-attacky cross that could have resulted in a very high XG chance? But is this the ultimate manifestation of a bit of both? <laughs> In real time, because yep. you're perfectly within your rights to applaud both actions. But one is one is the sort of applauding of effort, and the other is applauding of the defender. You've actually done your job correctly there, and you've made a good defensive motion. You've blocked a cross or whatever it is. The attacker, like you actually, you know, you haven't done everything you could have done, but you, but not entirely your fault because you've been stopped by an opponent, but you're still applauding the effort of, of, of nearly getting the job done. I mean, the attacking sentiment is always going to prevail, Charlie, because they've got more to look forward to. Well, I was they? going to say, there's an anticipatory <laughs> element to it. I think that's more, I think they're more cheering in a way the fact that this could lead to something mm. rather than the act of yeah. winning the corner. But which sound is traditionally going to last longer? I mean, even, even if it's your corner, you're still going to have to settle down into anticipating the corner. You can't just keep clapping. So well, which no, clapping I, ends first? I think I think the defensive clapping ends first because it's it's a quick clap of like, well done, but then it's like, yeah. get right, set, switch on. We've got to, oh, this, this could be, we could still concede here. Whereas the attacking, it's like, it will build slightly to a more of a crescendo and sort of kind of maybe blur into some teams have like a pre-corner kind of clap that they'll do or whatever. There's also wariness, I think, at not wanting to tempt fate. Like you're 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 applauding the good effort, but you don't want to be seen to be like really happy that you're then defending a corner because that's almost like inviting trouble. It, it, it's like when players celebrate I mean, it's not quite like this, but it's related when players celebrate winning a penalty or something. Yeah. Yeah. That always makes me really nervous because they seem to be like well, the job's not done yet in the same way that when you've defended a cross, you've still got to defend another one. Well, they've earned themselves uh, 0.82 XG. So They have done that, yeah. I, th- I think a lot of this as well has to do with which which set of fans are behind the goal in, in this incident because yes. either player, depending on whether their home fans are behind them, could get up from this situation and motion to the fans. They go, mm. come on, come mm. on. You're never going to see both players do that at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> Back to back. <laughs> I don't know. You could, uh, yeah. If the away fans and if the away fans are situated in a certain place, that would be wonderful to see. That'd be the, that'd be the absolute peak of this. Um, I won't accept the fans applauding the corner taker as they come across as the extension of this. That's separate. It doesn't. It's not the same feel good factor of the initial incident. Um, it's different. No, that's, that's hero that's worship. The phase. Yeah, exactly. Different. <laughs> <laughs> Right, great start to our irritations. The next one, equally brilliant, comes from Adam Reek. When a fullback is chasing a winger down the line, does a slide tackle, normally wins the ball, it might go for a corner, might go for a throw in. He stands up and he shorts a right up his leg and he doesn't pull it down. He knows that he shorts right up his leg as well. There's no way he doesn't know. And it's even more irritating when you're watching it on telly because you've just got a closer zoomed in version of it. So yeah, that's my irritation. Is this a, is this a real kind of OCD level thing isn't it but especially if it's one leg charlie just pull, pull one pull one leg down you want it even 
adjust yourself. Is it not a slight fashion statement? I mean, are they doing it? Do we do we think this is negligence or is deliberate in some cases? Well, there is a there is an element of that that creeps into this day because you you know there are some players who like to hike one mm. leg of their short up for also I mean just before a free kick for example or something. Ronaldo obviously used to do it, and you, you do see you do see a hiked up short leg a lot these days. You really do. Yeah. You do like especially like sometimes like after matches, maybe if there's like a big cup final or something, and the players are like on walking around the pitch or whatever for a while after, you'll see them kind of roll their shorts right up as if mm. they're like wearing a pair of briefs or something. Is that a thing? What are they do trying to show off their thighs? Probably. Might yeah, be. I think some are. Why I mean, not? Like ben, ben White is a big one for this. He, he's permanently got one half of his shorts. Oh wow! Rolled so up. It's a deliberate one. So it's half. definitely a. But while playing. Yeah, yeah, as much as possible. I mean, obviously, I guess it will. F- there'll be times it will fall down while running, but that that's one where it definitely feels like a, a fashion statement. It feels like, like a, that just wanting be, to show his legs. Could be an area ripe for a crackdown at some point if mm. like players are like exposing like tattoos or or somehow like Paddy Power have sponsored Ben White's thighs. <laughs> Can't see it, but essentially. Um, in defence of generously thighed fullbacks, um, if you think about the modern elite level football kit, it's very locked in place. There's not a lot you can customise. They pretty much all wear short sleeves, that we established very recently. Um, there are very few collars on football shirts. So I would put it to you, Charlie, that the accidentally hiked up shorts is the new upturned collar. It, it's it's that much of a statement. Yeah, yeah, it, it probably is the, yeah, that sort of thing. I mean, there's also, I think though some people seem to do it, I mean, you mentioned, yeah, you mentioned Ronaldo, who's, Alexis Sanchez as well was on who at free kicks would always do mm. right, almost, I don't know if it was a nervous thing, I don't know if it was like, a, this helps me focus, but. Yes, probably. It's, it's definitely developed uh, as a tick for some players. And I, I think also it's helped by the fact that as footballers' thighs, quads, glutes, have got more well-developed and bigger over the years. The shorts have definitely got tighter. Mm. You, couldn't, mm. you couldn't do this in, with like a baggy short because it's no. just going to go. Gravity is just going to interfere. Never going to happen in the 90s. Never ever going to happen. Yeah. Incredible stuff. Great observation from Adam Reek. Okay, and our last irritation for February comes from Eliazar Kamez. My One of my frustrations with football is being a fan of the team that concedes the goals in the highlights that get shown before a big tournament. I'm Mexican and it always really frustrates me having to relive Shabalala's goal for South Africa against us in 2010 before every World Cup. And I'm sure I'm going to have to go through it again rewatching Messi and Enzo Fernandez's goals against us in 2022. And it's just incredibly annoying to sit down to watch something that's supposed to get you hyped for the big tournament that's about to start and instead having to relive some of your low points as a supporter of your country. This has never entered my mind. No, this, this is a real. This is a real spare a thought for moment charlie we should consider how lucky we are yeah. to a certain extent that you know england don't sort of incidentally appear mm. in these montages before a tournament and it's never dawned on me that you know just happening to show certain goals from certain big moments of tournaments might make fans of the conceding country feel bad well also england are kind of in a sweet spot because we're not those incidental ones but we're also never in a final so whereas you know for holland fans seeing like the iniesta i imagine some montages will do a quick fire here are the last few final winners and if you're Holland or Argentina prior to this one or, or France or whatever, you are that you are seeing goals that are going to make you feel 
a bit sick. It's a good point. It's either it's either like final, you know, the Shabalala example was opening game, home yeah. nation, iconic moment. I suppose we haven't really been in many of those but it might vary from country to country as well though like maybe england don't concede enough sort of camera friendly goals either a german tv montage may include uh one of the goals in the 4-1 from from 2010 or or something yeah, that, like that, that would that would annoy me that that would make me feel worse by mm. about 0.5 percent but dave put yourself in eliezer's shoes I mean, the Shabalala example as well, a, a more mundane thing than a, a great goal from a final. Um, still obviously a momentous goal. Uh, how do you think you would actually feel? <laughs> how annoyed would you be? Would you, would you bring back terrible memories? <laughs> they still progressed from the group, didn't they? Like it's, it didn't it didn't have any consequence that goal. Yeah, come on, it's fine. It's not like it's not like it was the final, and it was like the moment where we we nearly won, and that was the goal that denied us glory, I suppose. But I do know what I do know what it means because I th- I think this can apply to club football as well. <laughs> That's about um, to say. because there's a uh, uh, Watford fans of a certain vintage often. Uh, the sort of generation before me, but I often hear them moaning about they were sick of seeing the Glenn Hoddle chip that mm. he scored at Vicarage mm. Road, like which was <laughs> just replayed endlessly and stuck on the the intros to like the big match or whatever it was yep. back in the yep. day. And then I also wonder a Leicester fans sick of seeing the Deeney goal. Obviously, they've kind of had it good since, but they must be sick of seeing the close up of Knockart missing. Yeah, well, that's the more designed to turn the screw, I think. To add salt in the wound because you know they were the direct sort of very sort of direct it was a very much at their expense yeah that goal and it will always be remembered as such like most fans think of them as quite incidental there like i reckon a lot of casuals would would barely remember that it was leicester on the receiving mm. end of it but but i suppose the difference with that example is that if that goal is being played on social media or even on a highlight show, something like, it's not going to catch you by surprise, but the montage will. You're not expecting yeah. it. And then bang, you see a flash of, of misery. Trigger warning before the montage starts. If you're a Mexican fan, please look away now. It would be like now if Leicester fans, having been relegated to the championship this season, were settling down for you know the first championship highlights roundup of the weekend, their first being back in. And at the start of it, there was a kind of Dina! rush of great championship moments. And they were like, oh my... God, that's the last thing I want to see right now. Um, but where does this end? Like, I don't know, if you're if you're tuning into Super Sunday right at the start and they were like, you never stop this flame. And you're seeing like, players running around seeing their shirts disintegrate into graphics. Like, oh no, that was the goal he's celebrating against us. Oh, <laughs> stop showing it. Where does it end? Uh, one of the niche ones we've had, Eliazar, but I don't feel your pain at all. But I'm amazed that it exists. And that's enough for me. Thanks for all. Your selections for MHD for February. That was truly tremendous. Uh, thanks to you, Charlie Okoshev, for picking them apart. 199 and not out. Thank you. And Dave Walker, cheers to you. Thank you. And we'll see you all on Tuesday. Sports Social Podcast Network.